Welcome to Analyst Talk with Jason Elder. It's like coffee with an analyst, or it could be whiskey with an analyst reading a spreadsheet, linking crime events, identifying a series, and getting the latest scoop on association news and training. So please don't beat that analyst and join us as we define the law enforcement analysis profession one episode at a time. Thank you for joining me. I hope many aspects of your life are progressing. My name is Jason Elder, and today our guest has 10 years of law enforcement analysis experience with 15 years of law enforcement experience overall. She started her career with the Virgins Islands Territorial Emergency Management Agency, then went on to the Virgin Islands Police Department, and now she is the lead intelligence analyst with the Virgin Islands Fusion Center. She holds a master's in public safety, public administration from Capella University. Please welcome Patricia Potter. Patricia, how are we doing? Hi, how are you? I am doing very well. How is the weather in the Virgin Islands right now? Oh, the weather is nice and sunny. Those high temperatures are really hitting us, but living in the Virgin Islands, you're accustomed to that tropical weather. So everything's yeah. normal. <laughs> yeah, it just seems like it's either beautiful or storming. Yes. Hopefully this is not a storming time. We are in the middle of hurricane season, so we're here in the Virgin Islands doing our rain dance to make sure that we keep the hurricanes away. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, and we'll get into a little bit that later in the interview. But reading your name, Patricia Potter, we didn't talk about this in the prep call, but it may that easily could be the name of Harry's aunt from the Harry Potter series, Patricia Potter. There's a total backstory to how, why my mom named me Patricia. Ironically enough, and I, I, I never really told you about this before, but ironically enough, at the time when my mom was pregnant with me, that was around the time when Patricia Hurst, I'm, I'm not sure if you remember her story about being kidnapped, and then all of a sudden she appeared during a, a bank robbery. I oh, think that was around wow. the first time when our criminal justice system was was familiar with, I think it's Stockholm Syndrome. Mm-hmm. And my mom was watching the bank robbery go down, and in the middle of that whole um, shenanigans that was going on, she was just like, I'm going to name her Patricia, Patricia Potter. Yeah, that's... <laughs> that a- is the backstory to my name, ironically enough. Yeah, that's interesting, because I always think sometimes with some of these names, going back to hurricanes, like I feel that Katrina is just one of those names that is just not going to be very popular based on the hurricane. I bet you there are a lot less Katrinas in the world now after Hurricane Katrina. A lot of hurricane names actually derive from Caribbean and African heritage. So a lot of the hurricane names are very common names of individuals here in the Caribbean. Very common first name. It's a it's a very cultural first names to the Caribbean and Africa. So yeah, that's that's the historical contents of how they, they come up with a lot of the hurricane names. Yeah. Oh, that's that's interesting. I know the Weather Channel, it seems like they name every storm now, even if it's like a heavy snowstorm in the Northeast, it seems like it gets a name now. So, but anyway, we can talk about that for a long, long time. But let's first talk about how you discovered the law enforcement analysis profession. I actually always had an interest in law enforcement and forensics. A lot of the times 
when kids were at home watching Cartoon Network or, or Nickelodeon, I was at home late at night on the weekend watching Forensic Files <laughs> and <laughs> watching Core TV. And I, I actually got introduced to the the criminal justice career field from watching my mom watch Core TV all the time. I, I remember as a kid watching the O.J. Simpson trial, watching the Melendez brother trial, and ever since then, I've just always dug into the forensic field. I remember as a kid, Henry Lee was actually one of my individuals that I looked up to. And I, I knew from since I was a kid in middle school that I wanted to do something in criminal justice. So, yes, I've always had that that interest. But specifically when it came to criminal analysis, I first got introduced to that career field from my mentor. His name is Curtis Griffin. At the time, he was the assistant commissioner for the Virgin Islands Police Department, and he was always very intrigued about how much I knew about criminology, criminal concepts, how much I knew about Comstat and, and all those foundational criminal justice information. And he's like, you know what you need to do? <laughs> you need to be a crime analyst. And in a lot of my spare time, I did a lot of research about crime analysts, about all those other stuff, including what I studied in school. And ever since then, I was like, this is it. This is this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a crime analyst. You started out as a dispatcher, right? Yes. I, I originally started my career in the public safety system as a, a 911 dispatcher. I, I thought that initially... I was still kind of undecided about whether I wanted to do emergency management or stick with my dream of working in the criminal justice system. And then I, I had an experience working as a 911 dispatcher when one of our officers, God rest his soul, Mr. Colvin Georges, was shot in the line of duty. And unfortunately, he succumbed to his injuries about a, a year after. And it was that experience that was the nail in the coffin, I should say, or oh, the seal, the deal that I definitely wanted to do something in law enforcement in criminal justice. I, I wasn't sure if I wanted to be a cop, but I knew I wanted to be a part of protecting and serving my community. Oh, yeah, that's sorry to hear about the, the officer. So and and with the dispatching, you know, I've had several analysts on the show who were dispatchers prior to being an analyst. And it there's a lot that you learn as a dispatcher that helps you when you become an analyst because you know the the CAD data, you know the problem areas because you know where all the calls are going. You know, the times of day when all the problems in certain areas of, of your jurisdiction are are hot when they're not. And there is just a lot to 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 get that you that you learn as a dispatcher that's helpful once you become an analyst. Yes. And uh, the fact that I was a, a dispatcher on a small territorial island like St. Thomas, of course, the redundancy in in criminal actors in suspects, we we knew. Like, so if we knew John Doe was released out of prison and we know that his his modus, his MO was to rob jewelry stores and we know his jewelry stores are out and John Doe is out of prison, we were like, uh-huh, we solved the case. We were always 
solving cases <laughs> in the 911 dispatch center. So it did give me a lot of insight into understanding patterns and trends, understanding the significance of behavioral patterns and trends. And, and that gave me a lot of insight into that career field. And it, it like working as a 911 dispatcher was definitely the birth of, of what really sealed the deal in, in wanting to work in a criminal justice system. And it was uh, one of the best experiences that I've ever had in my career. Let's, we got to do, I think, a little geography now. So the Virgin Islands, it's four islands. And yeah. when you're dispatching, you're only dispatching for one of the islands, correct? Correct. So we're comprised of four islands, as you mentioned, St. Thomas, St. Croix, St. John, and Water Island. And my 911 dispatch center only dispatched for St. Thomas. However, sometimes if we get extremely busy at the 911 center or if one of the other islands, St. Croix, gets busy at their center, we will sometimes have calls roll over to our 911 center and we would dispatch for them. So that's like one of the things that's very unique about the Virgin Islands is that we're all considered one territory, one unit, but we're all separated by water. Yeah. So it, it was a very unique dynamic. Right. And then how do you, how would you describe the size of the islands? Is there a common way that you, when people ask you like how big St. Thomas is or how big are all the islands? What do you usually tell folks? So St. Thomas is essentially 32 square miles. St. Croix is about twice or at the least a double and a half of it. And then St. John is extremely small. It's about, I would say about 18 to 20 square miles. And Water Island is even smaller. Each island have their, uh, I guess you can say nicknames <laughs> or yeah. aliases that help describe what each island is known for. So St. Thomas is known as Rock City because although we're very small, we're very tall, we're very hilly and mountainous, and it just adds personality to the beauty of our island. St. Croix is more flat. Um, we have more farmland and agriculture in St. Croix, and St. John is known as Love City, whereas it's so small that everyone literally knows everyone on the island. <laughs> <laughs> Water Island is like a, a sister island to St. Thomas because it's it's just a two-minute boat ride away. Um, there's very few people that, that lives on Water Island, maybe about a, 100 people that lives on Water Island. It's very secluded. It's very quiet. <laughs> so each island has their own feature, geographical feature and personality. Oh, good. That's a lot better description. I, I Googled it real quick. And the one description I got is like, if you combined all the islands together, it would be twice as big as Washington, D.C. That's and the that, easy way to put it. <laughs> that was, that was seemed to be like, I was like, there's some math in that. And like, you know, you'd have to have an understanding of how big D.C. is and everything else. But that's, you did a lot better job than that one sentence description. So then, when you become a crime analyst, then, like, so what are you concentrating on? What are some of the issues that the police department is working on? So one of the issues or complexities in, in working here or fighting crime in the Virgin Islands is that we're, 
live in a very small, small populated place. The U.S. Virgin Islands in totality consists of about 85 to 90,000 individuals. And we are living in an environment where everyone knows everyone. I know in the continental United States, we, well, law enforcement has the ability to travel across to different counties and work outside of their home environment. Whereas in the Virgin Islands, you can get called on a, a case and that case happened to involve your classmate or your best friend or your cousin. So we live in a, a very small population where everyone knows everyone and everyone is pretty much connected about five degrees of separation. It has its good and it's bad. It's like a double-edged sword. Uh, one of the benefits of living or, or, or working or being a law enforcement officer in such a small community is that you're, you take your job a lot more personable. It's not just a matter of arresting Jimmy because he burglarized the supermarket, but you know that you're, you're able to figure out what could you do to make sure that he is not another statistics. Sometimes we we are able to really have that ability to do bona fide, authentic, community-oriented policing. It's a lot more easier. It's a lot more, we have that ability. Unfortunately, the flip side to it is that, as you can imagine, there's a lot of difficulties in investigating certain cases because of the fact that we have such a small community. It's a lot more difficult for people to be more open to providing information on cases. A lot of cases are more personable to not just law enforcement officers, but to community members. So community-oriented policing is extremely, extremely important when it comes to law enforcement here in the community. No, that's that's interesting. And I didn't, you know, I wouldn't have, when you first said that, it was, it makes sense. And Man, if uh, I can understand that if obviously if people understand who the witnesses are, that that would can intimidate people from coming forward because they don't want to get involved and they don't want to put them and their family at, at risk. So that is that's an interesting concept because you would think that because it's so small that people would know, be able to recognize maybe stuff that's out of the ordinary, pick up on stuff that may be criminal in nature as opposed to something that's more fluid and you got people all over the place coming and going, you might not be able to recognize it. Exactly. Well, let's uh, let's get into a story then, uh, your analyst badge story. And for those that may be new to the show, the analyst badge story is the career defining case or project that an analyst works. And for you, it's 2016, fairly new as a crime analyst, and you get, you work on a burglary series here in St. Thomas. Yes. So I, it was my first assignment as a crime analyst. And unfortunately, there were not like a real solid direction in developing the, the crime analyst unit at the police department. So I, I was given the task of working with the burglary unit and they kind of was like, all right, we have like all these cases and we have to go through all of these items and we, well, what, what are we looking for? And 
someone mentioned to them, well, we just got a crime analyst. And they're like, <laughs> who's a crime analyst? The evidence clerk? She's now the crime analyst. And they're like, oh my God, let's go to her. <laughs> so they, we went to the, the assistant commissioner who I mentioned was my mentor. And he was like, awesome. I knew you were going to find your first assignment. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we, when I told you that we tell you that we really dug deep into these cases, we really dug deep into these cases. We pulled out maps. We, we analyzed the time of the day these incidents were happening, the type of items they were leaving with. There were times where we went on patrol with the officers to observe the environment where these cases were occurring. It led us to realize that we actually needed to light that place a lot more, a lot better. We had it was an area that had poor lighting. We were able to interview them. We real we because of the point of entry, point of exit, the behavior of the 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 criminal. We were able to narrow it down to one individual and his partner that were unfortunately they were addicted to narcotics using drugs. And they needed to have items to steal and sell for drug money. And this story actually plays back to what I was saying earlier. We realized that he went through a lot of hard times, suffered with depression. He was slated to actually have a very good job. And he just unfortunately, you know, hit rock bottom. And not only were we able to solve the case and make an arrest, but we were also able to get him some of the help that he needs. I I haven't been able to follow up with him, but I do hope and pray that wherever he is, he is receiving the help that he needed. But that's my bad story. That's when I realized that this stuff really works. (laughs) (laughs) So what... Well, first, I guess, what what drugs was he using? He was using cocaine, crack cocaine, mm-hmm. marijuana. He was also an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty much anything that he could have found on the streets that would give him a buzz, wow. he was really into. But when we get down to the meat of it, he was just like, I don't know how I end up here, but I'm here and I really want to get out. And he just really wanted the help. Wow. And that was his rock bottom moment. That was his intervention moment that helped him realize like I needed help. So how did you identify that all of the burglary cases were related? We realized that he was sort of hitting the same areas. We realized that he was mostly stealing electronics. We were also getting a couple of complaints that this individual were attempting to sell some of the stolen goods to him. Mm-hmm. And we were like, okay, let's put two and two together. Let's explore this. We have these complaints. We have these cases that's going on. We were able to map the area where the burglaries were occurring. And we realized that it was actually near an area that is known or was hotspot area for drug activity. The officers that I work with are bonafide street cops. They they <laughs> really were able to connect to the people in the community and everyone respected them. And they were able to solicit information despite the fact that we live in a small community. People were very forthcoming to them with information. They mentioned that we, we did notice this guy that has electronics all the time that's often out here selling or purchasing narcotics. And, you know, we were just able to do combine good 
police work and good investigative work along with crime analysts and the science of it. And we were able to just narrow it down to this guy. How was he caught? We, from what I understand, the officers were able to stage sting operation. Mm -hmm. They were able to narrow down to the most likely place that he was going to burglarize because it was one of the few places that wasn't burglarized yet. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) they were able to catch him in the act and he was arrested. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's, yeah, that, that's understandable. So, and, and then I guess from your perspective, this is your first time doing this. For a lot of analysts, a lot of folks that will talk, there's, there's something about that first time you either get the buy-in or the thing, the case works out well that put your mind at ease a little bit. It's just like, oh, you know what? I can do this. This is what I am meant to do and I can do this well and it sounds like that was the case for you that it's like you know what this is this is going to be good do you do you agree yes I agree I I remember one of the well one of the skills that I have is that I'm really good at researching and I did a lot of research at the time I also became a new member of the International Association of Crime Analysts mm-hmm. I were able to to participate in some of their courses that taught about the different techniques and procedures in crime analysis. As I mentioned, my my mentor, former assistant commissioner of police department, Curtis Griffin, sent me to a plethora of training and opportunities. And I was just able to put it at work when once I got this assignment. And then it was just like, huh, it works. (laughs) (laughs) And, And that was just that really gave me the momentum to to really continue to to do crime analysis work. I loved I fell in love with it after that burglary case. And I was just we were just like, what's next? We were hungry. <laughs> <laughs> we were real hungry. Ah, <laughs> oh, no, that's that's awesome. I do want to get to the your your transition to the fusion center, but before I do that, I want to take a moment. LEA Podcast recently just had their third year anniversary, and and thinking about that, I realized that I haven't done enough to to thank those that have helped me over the years. And so Kyle McMullen, who's a longtime friend, has designed most of the logos for for the podcast. And his website, moderntype.com, sells planners, business forms, signs, and calendars. And all profits from the website go to UPMC Children's Hospital Foundation in Pittsburgh. So if there will be a link in the show notes for his website if you could shop on his site and help him out that would be greatly appreciated and then the song that's playing now the rough and tumble mallory and scott my sister-in-law and brother-in-law the music and sound bites for the podcast they they created and so they they have a new album uh, only this far which the song this song is playing on they are touring between michigan and colorado this summer so Find their album and their tour dates at theroughandtumble.com. All right, Patricia, I let's talk about your transition now to the Fusion Center. That is a little bit of a transition, as we'll get into. So how did this idea of 
you going to the fusion center first come up? So my current boss, supervisor boss <laughs> at the fusion mm-hmm. center actually knew me before when I was a 911 dispatcher. My supervisor, Mr. Wayne Bryan, at the time was also working in the same workspace as I was per se, because our 911 dispatcher is also located in our emergency management agency, along with our fusion center. So we always interacted cross cross paths one way or the other. And I, I don't remember how the conversation came about, but I told him, you know, one of these days I'm going to work for you. And he was just like, <laughs> really? <laughs> I had to actually remind him about that conversation the other day. But he just heard a great deal of, I guess you could say, good reports about the work that I did. He heard about the the networking, the participation in Project Safe Neighborhood that I participated in with the of course, with the Bureau of Justice. And a lot of people spoke highly of me and my reputation. And he approached me one day and was like, do you want to work for the Fusion Center? (laughs) And I'm like, what are we going to do? Are we dealing with numbers and crime and statistics? And he's like, no, it's totally qualitative. It's totally writing and reports. And it's more intelligence focused. And I was like, definitely. So I, I seized the opportunity and I, I know the Virgin Islands Police Department was so upset when I decided to leave, but they totally understood that I I also had a desire for intelligence work and they knew that it was a great opportunity. And our new commissioner at the, the time was like, I, I totally don't want to lose you, but I know this is like a, a opportunity that you cannot pass on. And so that was when I, I decided to take that opportunity and I transitioned from being a crime analyst to an intelligence analyst. Hi, I'm John Ng. I'm a crime analyst with the Saskatoon Police Service. A public service announcement that I have is for, especially for junior analysts, but also senior analysts, just be true to yourself and recognize that the police culture that you're in shouldn't necessarily shape who you are, but you have something to bring towards your service as a benefit as well. Hi, this is Angela Backer-Hines, and I just want to remind you to give yourself a break. As analysts, we strive to have all the officers in our department utilize our skills, and we typically want to be everything to everyone and do everything we can each day. But work is much more manageable and less stressful if you embrace the fact that it's okay to take some time for yourself, and maybe even to say no once in a while. In analysis and in life, you have to give yourself a break or you risk burning out and then you're no good to anyone. So just remember, it's okay to give yourself a break. So is this Fusion Center, is this part of a national program or is it, because it sounds like the way you described it, it's not with the Virgin Islands Police Department. It's a different agency. Yes. So after the, I'll give you a little background about fusion centers. Hmm. So after the 9-11 terrorist attack that unfortunately occurred in New York, part of the the back investigation revealed that one of the one of the issues that kind of contributed to 9-11 was the lack of ability to share information with other law enforcement or intelligence agencies. And so Department of Homeland Security or through Congress came up with the concept of fusion centers where local law enforcement agencies, along with federal law enforcement agencies, is operating within 
a certain area of responsibility are able to meet together and they're able to develop an intelligence sharing environment where we are able to integrate what's happening locally within a district along with how that affects the United States and the, as a nation and how it affects our the security of our homeland. So based off of that concept, we did the Virgin Islands Police, not the Virgin Islands Police Department, I'm sorry, the Virgin Islands Fusion Center was developed. The Virgin Islands Fusion Center is embedded in the Virgin Islands Territorial Emergency Management Agency. One of the, the rules or one of the slogan that we have amongst fusion centers is that once you've been in a fusion center, you've been in a fusion center, meaning that <laughs> every fusion center is totally different. We have fusion centers that may have up to 20 analysts working in that center. We have other fusion centers that only have about three to five fusion center analysts. We have some fusion centers that are embedded in the Virgin Islands Police in the well, in the police department, <laughs> sorry. Mm -hmm. And we have other fusion centers that's embedded in their public safety department, that's embedded in the emergency management agency department, like the Virgin Islands. So every few, no two fusion centers are alike. Yes, it's very diverse. It's very developed and coordinated according to the needs of, of that district that they're operating in. That sounds slightly different than what I would expect. And certainly you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but when, when it comes to when I think of a fusion center or a real-time crime center and it's being formed, it seems like because here in the continental U.S. we have so many different jurisdictions, local, state, federal, that each will send a representative to that fusion center. So you get representatives from each local department, you get somebody from the state, and you get folks from all the different federal agencies. But for what you just described, it sounds like it's the, the fusion center that is sending people to the various locations to help them with a particular problem. It could, it could work either or. Mm -hmm. Here at our fusion centers, I believe we have actually have one of the smallest fusion centers in the nation. But a lot of our partners that we work in come and visit the fusion center here. Sometimes we go to their their location. Sometimes fusion centers do have exchange programs where we're able to work within other fusion centers just to see some of the different subject matters that they're dealing with, to see how they're they operate and how they do things and kind of exchange different ideas amongst each other. One thing about Fusion Center analysts is that we have so many different ideas, concepts, subject matters that we're dealing with. But once you get a room full of Fusion Center analysts, we all speak the same language. And I think that that experience builds a very strong camaraderie amongst Fusion Centers across the United States. I'm actually a part of a fusion center organization known as Southern Shields. And every time we have our Southern Shields meeting, we have so many different things that are happening in the Virgin Islands that affects the, the Southern portion of the United States or beyond. I have worked on intelligent products that is happening here in the Virgin Islands. And then we found out that some of the same subject matters that we're discussing is occurring in California. And then we later find out that there's a connection between what's happening in California and the Virgin Islands, even though we're on two different ends of the world or the nation. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I should say. 
So I think working as a, a fusion center analyst, one of the things that I've learned is that the networking is very deep and a lot of what we do do affect people across the United States and beyond. And you helped me with the segue to your second analyst badge story, which is one of your products that you had when you when you first started as an Intel analyst with the Fusion Center. I know some of it, it it's not public information, so we're going to have to be careful on what we say. But I think in terms of what you did and what the results are, are pretty remarkable. Yes. Yeah, so as an intelligent analyst, I regularly have to publish or is expected to publish intelligence products that is expected to be of some significance to the intelligence community. And one of the things that my boss first told me when I came to the Fusion Center was you never know how far your intelligent products are going to go. And I was just like, man, we're in the Virgin Islands. How could it possibly go? <laughs> well, I, I did my first major intelligent product that spoke about transnational crimes here in the Caribbean. And lo and behold, I've had, we were receiving calls from fusion centers in Florida, in California, in, in the northern region of the United States. And eventually, I got a really big call from the drug czar, which is the national director of drug policy for the executive president of the United States. And he wanted to visit. And we were like, oh, you're visiting the first Islands. And he's like, no, you don't understand. We're coming to see you. We read your intelligence product. It was an eye-opener. And we want to have more insight on the information that you provided in this product. And my boss was just across the table when he heard that. And he was just like, you see, I tell you, it's going to go far. You never know. You never know. <laughs> so that was my second bad story as an intelligent analyst at our uh, future center. So, yeah. can Is there any more that you could give us? Again, I know you have to be careful, but is there is, there's certain public knowledge that came that you guys published from that, that paper that you can talk about? We... Well, we realized after publishing that that intelligence product that there is there are deep connections between a lot of what's happening with the opiate crisis in the United States and the Caribbean. So it, it was just an eye opener. And it, instead of being more tunnel vision about the drug crisis that we're seeing in the United States, it realized like. This is not just the United States. This is in the Caribbean that we're very interwo interwoven with each other. A lot of times people tend to forget that there's a piece of the United States in the Caribbean. <laughs> and of course, it's a little difficult to remember being thousands of miles across water. But everything that we, we do, everything that we speak about, everything that we experience one way or the other is affected has effects in different regions of the world. I know a, a lot of our listeners may have probably heard of the butterfly effect, effect, and I think it's like working here at a fusion center as an analyst helped me realize that a lot of the things that we do and we experience has a connection or is very much connected to different parts of the world. And our narcotic crisis that we, we're experiencing in the United States currently, unfortunately, has very deep connections to Latin America, to the European continents, countries, I should say, to the Caribbean. And it, it was an eye-opener for a lot of our leaders that are very interested in this arena when it comes to 
crime in in our nation. So the meeting with the the drug czar then what's is there anything that's super memorable about that in that event? It was it was really interesting being able to share a lot of our I should say it was interesting sharing a lot of our issues that we've had that we've been dealing with for a while to be able to share and to have someone to listen to us to know that the ability to to publish an intelligence product and and have it distributed in the intelligence community and to know that this were it would give him more insight and give him more information on how he can better deal with the situation. It was just really, I felt as if I, I did my due diligence as an intelligent analyst, being able to grab his attention and show him the different things that occurred here, that was occurring here in the in the Virgin Islands. It just, it makes you feel as if you you did your part and you did your job well. So that was one of the, the best parts in being able to host him here in, in the Virgin Islands. And not to mention the fact that I finally got a challenge coin from the <laughs> office of the president of the United States. <laughs> there you go. So those those two were what memorable moments that I had in, in meeting the drug star. Yeah, I don't know how many people can say that. So that's very good. So something you said yesterday during the prep call stuck with me, and it was the idea of you you experienced both being a crime analyst and being an intel analyst. And even being an intel analyst in the Fusion Center, you feel has slightly different goals, different mission. And I just wanted to give you an opportunity to elaborate on that. So I... I would say the easiest way to describe the differences between the two arenas is that being a, a crime analyst is more quantitative, you know, dealing with the Excel spreadsheets and, you know, learning how to use Python and, and those sorts of stuff. It's very much crime analysis driven, whereas intelligence analyst is more qualitative. We look at trends, what's happening in the news, how how does something that's happening in in one hemisphere affecting us? We're more into looking at patterns, trends, and behaviors and predicting and providing substantive information as to how these things are affecting us. It's more qualitative, more supportive-like, if you understand what I'm saying. It's more focused on the details, the the details, what's happening, what we should look for. I would say that intelligence is very much there in, in some when it comes to similarities, they both can be strategic, but I think being an intelligent analyst is more strategic on a higher strategic level than being a crime analyst. You know, crime analyst is more looking at hotspot areas. Where do we have to distribute our resources? Being an intelligent analyst for a fusion center, it's more on what do we have to look out for in order to mitigate it before it does actually happen? Or it may give some insight on something that we may think it's a small situation, but there's a bigger picture to it. And we, we reveal that in our intelligence products. Also, we mentioned it in the beginning of, of the interview here, hurricanes. That's something that you all are obviously dealing with maybe more than most. And so 
I just want to get, get your perspective on when you have hurricanes go through and you're dealing with power loss and all the the chaos that a hurricane brings. What's your role as an analyst during this situation? Uh, so during hurricanes, when we're having a, a natural disaster such as a hurricane, as a future center analyst, it's very important that we coordinate a lot of our federal and local law enforcement assets that mostly is focused or concentrated on critical infrastructures or federal assets. So we may have we may have some federal assets that's on island and we may need their assistance. And we we collect intelligence during those disasters and let different divisions, departments, arenas that's federally that has a f- interest federally in what's going on in, in terms of terrorism crime during a hurricane. And we push forward that information to those partners to let them know, like, this is what's going on. Law enforcement here in the Virgin Islands during a hurricane forces us to really be creative law enforcement officials. As you can imagine, during a a disaster, hurricanes knocks out everything. Our, you know, shelter is compromised. There's no telephone communication. There's no electricity. And our police officers are are sometimes put in a position where they have to be very creative in how they're going to enforce the law in the middle of chaos such as this. And after the experience of seeing how a lot of Virgin Islands police officers were able to handle being hit by two Category 5 storms within a week apart of each other, I must, I will tell everyone that the Virgin Islands Police Department is some of the best officers that I have seen operate in a natural disaster. But there is some very complex and unique situations that we do have to get out of in the middle of a natural disaster during a hurricane. Now, you talked about the the four islands and their nicknames and how their geography is is slightly different. During a hurricane, is one more susceptible or more at risk than the others? It, it, It depends on the characteristics of the hurricane itself. If we have a, a hurricane that is has a lot of rain, then and it decides to hit more St. Croix than St. Thomas, St. Croix may have a lot of issues with flooding because it's more flat. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas if the same sort of hurricane was to hit the Virgin Islands, only certain parts of the Virgin Islands may experience flooding, but then we have a lot of mudslides and landslides that may occur. We do have issues with runoffs in the beaches and, and stuff like that. So it all depends on the characteristics of the hurricane itself and which island is going to get affected most by the hurricanes. Good. I do want to talk to you about training. I see on your resume here that you took the Alias Fiat training and just wanted to first get your take on that. How did you how did you like the training and and how do you think it influenced you? I enjoyed that training very much. That training really taught me the importance of the intelligence cycle. I learned a lot about the importance of critical thinking, about the importance of making sure you go through the process carefully. It gave me a lot of foundational skill sets that I needed to be a very effective intelligent analyst. It helped me to 
actually prepare myself for other trainings that I've had to take with Department of Homeland Security and the Federal Bureau of Investigation. I encourage anyone that has an interest in intelligence, even crime, but also intelligence, to really start to to take those fiat courses. It's it's very, I think it's very essential in becoming a, a effective analyst, regardless of whether it's crime or intelligence. All right, good. And and then in terms of training needs, because I, I feel that a lot of the associations, whether it's IACA or ILEA, sometimes struggle with the I that's in those in, in those names and the the international it's it's sometimes can get difficult for those that aren't from the continental United States might might have some difficulty with with some of the training and whatnot because you're in a unique situation there. What are your particular training needs in the Virgin Islands? I think our Training needs in terms of being an analyst Virgin Islands, I think we do need to kind of pull our law enforcement officers more into the analytical aspects of law enforcement. I think that there there are some officers that once they receive effective analytical training for law enforcement, that they they understand the reasoning or the concept behind having a crime analyst unit. I know one of the difficulties that I had in when I first became a crime analyst at the Virgin Islands Police Department was to let officers know that I'm not here to take over your case. I'm here to support you mm-hmm. and to just understand that aside from doing the investigative work, which is very valuable, I'm not taking away the value about that, but that there's also a science behind criminal activity. Once you are able to effectively combine good detective investigative work along with that crime analyst background, I think it it will just amplify investigative work within a police department times 10. And I, I think that more training that more training that prepares law enforcement officers for receiving crime analysts reports, works, understanding how to read it, and the point in in knowing these numbers or knowing the science behind of crime, I think it would it that's what we need a lot here. Interesting. All right. And well, do you make it back here to the continental United States very often? Uh, I haven't been back since the onset of COVID, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But prior to that, I used to visit the, the continental United States a lot, especially when I was with the Virgin Islands Police Department. I I was, I think one of my most significant trips that, that I enjoyed was the to visit the New York Police Department. Mm-hmm. I received the opportunity to take a tour of their real-time crime center, and I... I, I, that gave me a lot of insight into the possibilities that the Virgin Islands Police Department could have. And I'm proud to say that even after I left the Virgin Islands Police Department, that they're still in pursuit of really tapping into emerging technology and how that can help with the pol- police department. But those trips to the continental United States, I really do miss them. I haven't been there <laughs> since since COVID, but I do hope that I can do more trips like that. Yeah. Is there, what's the biggest shock when you come over to the continental United States? The amount of people. 
<laughs> too many people. Yes, I'm like, cause I remember, so I, I actually used to live in Florida. I am a graduate of Florida International University. Go Golden Panthers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so I, I remember when I first moved to Florida, it was a big culture shock. And then I realized that there were a lot of people from the U.S. Virgin Islands that was also attended Florida International University. And I was just like, oh, my God, you're from home. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) So it's always a big culture shock to just be surrounded by different people, different cultures, different ethnicity, and to just see the diversity and the melting part that exists in the continental United States. (laughs) I was hoping, I was hoping you would say the traffic because it's the, I I saw that the Virgin Islands is the only area in the U.S. where they drive on the left side of the road. Yeah, I don't think that driving in the United States could outbeat driving on the left. I'm not gonna lie, it did take me a while to to get used to it, but I I caught on fairly quickly. It it, it took a bit of a... I had... The the difficult part in driving in the United States was more of just having the courage to actually do it. Mm -hmm. My biggest fear was to to drive on the wrong side of the road, (laughs) but I... I just, you know, constantly told myself, drive on the right, drive on the right, don't drive on the left. <laughs> but it, it's funny when, when we do have tourists here in the Virgin Islands and they're like, you guys drive on the wrong side of the road. <laughs> <laughs> so it's 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 interesting. But it's actually the the culture and the people, to see so much people in one space, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let's finish up with personal interest then. And and you have several here. I I I am very jealous of some of these things that you get into here. So let's talk about spear fishing first, and yes, and I then do. so like what are you after? And then maybe if you have a story to to tell of the the great fish that you speared. Um. So one of the the most common fishes to to catch here in the Virgin Islands is, is called red snapper fish. Mm-hmm. I, I love catching those. I I feel very lucky when I manage to catch a lionfish, especially knowing that lionfishes sort of depletes or damages our ocean ecosystem. So we're always encouraged to try and catch a lionfish. And it just feels good knowing that I'm catching a lionfish. And aside from having a very good meal, that I'm doing my part to protect the environment. I I love catching lobsters. <laughs> yes, yes, I yeah, can imagine. Compares to fre- fresh lobster from the ocean. Yes, delicious. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh man, you're making yes. me hungry. So, so <laughs> pardon my ignorance, but when you say spear fishing, are you doing it above water or in the water? In the water. So okay. spear fishing requires you actually diving. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do a lot of free diving, so I don't have like a, a scuba diving tank or anything. It's all mm-hmm. scuba, just snorkeling gears. And we have a, a spare gun, which is sort of like a, a spare that's attached to a rubber. And there's a barrel mm-hmm. and you kind of have to take the rubber connecting rope or or, or thread, I guess you want to call it, <laughs> or the mm-hmm. rubber tube. And you connect it to the barrel, and then once you release the trigger, it will fire that spare into a fish. 
Um, so it requires you to have very good swimming skills. Yeah, and underwater aim, I can imagine, uh, is uh, slightly different than shooting above water. Oh, yeah, it's definitely different. But spare fishes are, are spare guns, I should say, are very powerful. So you have to have a lot of upper body strength to reload your spare gun. But once you're able to, once you see a good catch, you're kind of able to sneak up on it a little bit and then catch it. It requires a lot of swimming with the fishes and just being immersed in the environment so that they you kind of blend in and then you just get your good catch that way. Yeah. It's very tactical. <laughs> yeah. You're also a poet. So yeah. what are what are some what are the types of poetry that you write? I I write very different like all sorts of poetry. I'm mostly, I'm not really a type of poet that conforms to the different orientation. I'm very like free, free writing, whatever I feel, I write it and it just, it just sounds good. (laughs) I I started to get into poetry while I was a, a student at the University of the Virgin Islands. I had a lot of friends that are musicians and being around them, hearing them and seeing them write their music, it got me into poetry. And actually, before I really got serious about my career in criminal justice, I used to dabble a little bit in journalism. And I actually had a a radio show called The Poetry Corner, where we had callers read poetry just call in and read your poems. It was mm-hmm. it was a really awesome show. So those those were some of the things that I did and still do in my spare time. Yeah. Do you publish any of your work? I have been told that I need to look into it, <laughs> but mm-hmm. I, I haven't been able to publish it any of my work officially. But that's that's definitely something on my bucket list to do. All right. Well, if you want, I will offer this that if you want to, we can put one of your poems in the show notes if you're wanting to do that. I'll think about it. I'll, yeah. I'll see if I could pull up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And so, you know, the other thing that you're in your personal interest list here is you're really into fashion. And so I could use all the fashion advice that I could I could get. So but, but what 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 in particular about fashion are do you get into? I think my interest in fashion taps into that creative part of me. I aside from fashion and poetry, I am a I'm very I'm an art fanatic. I love art. And I think that fashion taps into that side of me when it comes to color, coordination lines, just being able to layer different things together. And I love being able to to ex- to express myself through the clothes that I wear, through my fashion ideas and, and stuff like that. I, I just love the creative aspect of of fashion and the ability to express yourself every moment of the day because of the clothing that you wear and and you know express who you are as a as an individual. That's the the thing I love about fashion. Well, our last segment to the show is words of the world, and this is where I give the guests the last word. Patricia, you can promote any idea that you wish. What are your words to the world? My words to the world is something that I've learned through some personal experiences that I've had. And it is to always remember that you have a purpose. Always remember to find your passion and to remember that you have a purpose for being here. A lot of times we're we're on a search to find our purpose. And there are a lot of people that 
especially you know individuals that are suffering with mental health with depression and sometimes you're left feeling that you don't have a purpose but you do sometimes people tell me that i i feel as if i don't know my passion i don't know my purpose it's there but you just have to take the time and the energy to really explore possibilities and have new experiences but every single person on this earth have something to contribute to our society and it's very important that we find our purpose and to be passionate about what we do very good why well, leave every guest with you've given me just enough to talk bad about you later sure <laughs> <laughs> but i do appreciate you being on the show patricia thank you so much did you be safe thank you you too as well. I, I i really enjoyed the show i really really did Thank you for making it to the end of another episode of Analyst Talk with Jason Elder. You can show your support by sharing this and other episodes found on our website at www.leapodcasts.com. If you have a topic you would like us to cover or have a suggestion for our next guest, please send us an email at leapodcasts at gmail.com. Till next time, analysts, keep talking.